Let's open our Bibles now to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews, chapter 12. Last week, we looked at verses 12 through 17 and found that it was essentially a, a four-point sermon that the Apostle Paul gave us. And um, we see there that... Um, um, he was telling us to strengthen up our limbs and he uh, he says uh, where are we here well verse um, there we are verse 12 make um, to wherefore lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and then verse 13 to straighten up our paths make straight paths for your feet and then verse 14, to sweeten up our souls, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And then verse uh, 15, to uh, sober up our vision, to watch against sin. And then he, he uh, tells about Esau and how that Esau was a spiritual uh, fornicator, a profane person selling his birthright. And so we need to be on guard that we don't repeat the mistakes of others. Well, tonight, now after having given us those four points, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us why we should do those things that he suggests. He's going to give us a powerful reason as to why we ought to, uh, to do those things. So let's begin with prayer, and then we're going to jump into verse 18. Our Heavenly Father, once more we ask for your divine help. Please have the Holy Spirit to be our Bible teachers tonight, and search our hearts, Lord, and see if there be anything there that's not right or not in keeping with your will for our lives, and show it to us plain so that we can recognize it and confess and forsake it. Our Father, please, we pray your hedge of protection around us and open the eyes of our understanding tonight to behold wondrous things out of thy law. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in verse 18, and Paul says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched. Now, in, in this verse here, he's, uh, he's starting to uh, remind us back of when Israel came out of Egypt, and then they came uh, into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. Now, as I mentioned earlier, he's going to give us the reasons why that we ought to strengthen our limbs and straighten our paths and so on, the reasons why we ought to do that, and it's a powerful reason. And so he begins here by reminding his readers, and we are his readers tonight, uh, that we've not come unto the mount that might be touched. Now, this is Mount Sinai where Israel first received the laws of God. It was a physical mountain. He says... That, and, and that burned with fire in verse 18. The mountain burned with fire. I have found in the reading of the Bible that God has often made his awesome presence known using fire. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 3, when uh, Moses first met with God, what did God use to get Moses' attention? Anyone remember? The burning bush, right, all the fire. And the amazing thing is that the bush was not consumed. Seeing a bush on fire was a 
reasonably common sight in uh, the wilderness there with the hot climate and so on. But this bush burned and burned and would not be consumed. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, we have mentioned there about um, the, uh, the Mount Sinai and how it burned. And in the book of Leviticus, we find that the, uh, uh, the fire of God was always to be on the altar of God. It was never to go out. And so that fire was always to be there, which was there to consume the sacrifices. In 1 Kings chapter 18, you have Elijah's uh, warfare, if you will, against the false prophets of Baal. And then when uh, Elijah built his altar and soaked it with water and put the animal parts up there, you remember God answered by fire. Fire came down from heaven and just burned everything, consumed everything. And then in Revelation chapter um, 1, we have uh, the description of Jesus that John gives, and the eyes of Jesus were like flames of fire. And so I find that interesting that we have the, the presence of fire often uh, with the presence of God. Now here in Hebrews chapter 12, Paul calls to mind how Mount Sinai, that's where the law was given, it burned with fire. He goes on in verse 18, you'll see, he says, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. Again, it's very descriptive here of Mount Sinai and um, uh, God's presence. And it almost, if you think of it, look at it once again, what he just said here uh, in verse 18. He says, you're not come unto the mount that can be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest here. It's almost, it almost parallels the trouble that Israel was going to have in trying to keep the laws of God uh, that God was about to give them. Verse 19, his description continues. He says, and the sound of a trumpet. Now this sound of a trumpet was not made by man because it sounded so long. There's only so much wind in a man's lungs and if he blows one of these trumpets which, which was like a ram's horn is what it was. I've got a small one in my office but they have large ones as well. And uh, the man would fill his lungs with air and he'd blow this thing but after a number of seconds then the air is gone. Uh. But this trumpet sounded long, 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 and it got louder and louder. And I think that it was God who blew the trumpet. And if it wasn't God, it was one of his angels because there was a lot more wind uh, in, in the lungs than what any human uh, could possibly have. And so you have this, this uh, sound of a trumpet made by God or at least by one of his angels. Now, all this happened back in Leviticus 19. And uh, this was three months after Israel had come out of Egypt. After three months, 90 days, they were standing there at the base of uh, Mount Sinai and uh, all this was happening. These people had to sanctify themselves to be ready for the third day when the trumpet was to sound. And Moses told the people, now get yourself ready and keep yourself clean. Don't get involved with anything because on the third day, trumpet's going to sound. And by the way, can I remind you that we too are listening for a trumpet? And the trumpet that we're listening for is, uh, is going to be heavenly. And it's going to call us uh, to, to the Lord himself. Now, verse 19, he says, The sound of the trumpet and the voice of words. This is from Exodus 19. God wanted the people to hear him speak. They wanted 
he wanted them to hear him speak to Moses. Uh, then it says, Paul writes, which voice they heard, uh, they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Listen, let's just go back to Exodus 20. It's going to be easier this way. Let's just go back to Exodus chapter 20. Keep your place there in Hebrews, and we'll go back to Exodus. And um, we're going to do a teeny bit of back and forth, not much. But Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and we'll find verse uh, 18. There we are. Exodus 20, verse 18. And um, 18 and 19, would you read those two verses out loud with me together, please? Let's read it now. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. So you can see that it was uh, quite an emotional event uh, that day when God was going to uh, uh, speak to Moses and it was at that time he was going to give them the, the law give them the law and the Ten Commandments and so on now if you go back here keep your finger there and in, in Exodus and go back to uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 12 and uh, look at now please at verse 20 it says for they could not endure that which was commanded. Do you see that? In verse 20, the people that were standing there that day, and there was a couple of million of them anyhow, and they were all at the base of the mountain, and they saw all this and the mountain shaking and the fire burning, and there's blackness in there and dark, darkness and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet. <clears throat> and uh, anyhow, they could not endure that which was commanded. And I suggest to you that God's presence and his voice were too much for the people. Maybe you have read the verse in Exodus 33 where God said, No man um, can see me and live. Maybe you've read that. You say, why is that? Why can't someone see God and live? I believe it's because God's aura, his presence is so overwhelmingly powerful that no human can, can withstand. It would be like going into a nuclear reactor or something. You'd quickly die. And God is so much more powerful than a nuclear reactor on earth. So that's why in our human form, we cannot get in front of him because the flesh can't take it. So that's, uh, that's just something to think about there. But uh, getting back here to Israel, they could not endure that which was commanded. They couldn't endure it. And I'll tell you what, they couldn't even keep the commandments that they were given. It's quite something. They just could not endure. You know, today we find that one of the evidences of salvation is endurance. That's one of the evidences of being saved is that you seem to be able to endure. Unsaved people 
cannot endure the Christian way of living, the proper biblical Christian life of living for Jesus. They may start uh, with daily devotions, but they'll quit. They can't endure. They may start with witnessing to the lost, but they themselves are lost, so they cannot endure, so they quit. Uh, even faithful attendance and tithing often prove too much for the, the lost. They can't do these things, whereas a saved person has the presence of Jesus Christ in his or her heart and is able to endure. Folks, it's amazing what we can do uh, in Christ. It's, it's just incredible what all what God has done for us. We're going to see that more in just a minute here. Um, the Old Testament law was given to expose their sin. Boy, did it ever do a good job. It exposed their sin. It exposed their inability to, to do anything that would please God. But it had no power to forgive sin. It had no power. It could not empower a person to live for God. All it could do was teach them that they were guilty before God. This is pretty much what the, the, uh, the law did. Now, look at verse 20 again. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. So let's go back to Exodus 19. And verse 13... And these are the words of the Lord. He says, There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And so here we find that when God was there, that mountain became exceeding holy. Do you remember um, Yuza, a guy named Yuza? King David was going to bring the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. And he had this big fanfare. They took the ark and they put it on an ox cart, which was a no-no. It had to have been carried with poles on the shoulders of the priests. That's how the ark was supposed to be transported. But they didn't read their Bible. And so they thought, let's get a brand new ox cart and a brand, you know, brand new oxen and everything's brand new. They thought, this is great. And they put this thing on the back and they had one guy in the front, one guy in the back. Well, Yuza was the guy in the back and one was kind of pulling and the other was kind of pushing. And so there, at one point, the ox stumbled. How they stumbled, I don't know. Maybe there was a pothole in the road and the city workers didn't fill in the pothole. I don't know. But the ox stumbled, the cart shook, and uses right there thinking, oh, this thing's going to fall off the cart. And he reaches forth and he grabs this thing to steady it, and right there, he struck dead. Um, Boy, there's been some stories, if you've read your Old Testament, some real amazing things happen with that ark. Uh, the Philistines, uh, they got a hold of it at one point, and they looked inside, and God plagued them, something fierce. And so they, they couldn't take it, and they sent it back to Israel. And some of the Israelites, they, they got it, and they looked inside it, and uh, God plagued them too. You just don't mess around with holy things. And I'll tell you something that's holy tonight, and that's the Bible. The Bible is a holy book, and you don't mess around with that. And so, um, I don't know, I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of answering to God one day, how they've taken the Word of God and tried to change it. And 
things like that. You, you just don't do that to God's book. And so anyhow, when God shows up on the mount, on Mount Sinai, it became exceeding holiness. And God's holiness is always a power to be reckoned with. I'll tell you what, if ever you get alone with God in your prayer closet and uh, you honestly get close to God, you are going to be aware of his holiness. You're going to be aware of his presence. And you can do that. You don't have to come to church in order to get in the presence of God, although there is a great opportunity here on Sundays and Wednesdays. But every day at home when you get up, you can slip away, you know, for half an hour or something like that and get in your, your prayer chamber there with God and read through Scripture and get on your knees or get on your face. And if you do it right, you will draw into his presence and you will know it, you will feel it. Here, this was something really uh, brand new. None of the Jews had ever seen this before. Uh, Moses hadn't experienced this before. Uh, the, um, uh, the most that Moses had experienced was in Exodus chapter 3 when he went toward the burning bush. And he, he went forward to look at this burning bush and God says, hey, wait, stop right there. Put off thy shoes. This is holy ground. Well, what made it holy ground? It was the presence of who? God. And when God comes, it's holy ground. Now that was new for Moses. And he put off his sandals. And if you've ever read through those chapters of Exodus, you can see he had quite a meeting with God. It involved a serpent and it involved, you know, leprosy and unleprosy and things like that. And it's really something you got to read it. It's fantastic. But that's as much as Moses had experienced. Then, of course, he went into uh, Egypt and then they had the 10 plagues and he experienced that. They came out. They had the wall of fire. By the way, there's the fire again. And then uh, God opened up the Red Sea, and they experienced that. But when they came to uh, Mount Sinai, this was something that was 10 times more. It, it was so much more than what they'd ever seen. The people... The people were just stunned, and uh, they were scared as could be. They, they, they couldn't endure even the voice of God. And that's why they said to Moses, well, you talk to God, tell us what he says. You know, we'll talk with you, but we, we, do, we don't want to hear from God. That's too much for us. So this was really, this was not just some form of entertainment. This was really like heaven opening up and God revealing some of himself, a small portion, but enough that would bowl people over. Quite amazing here. Uh, Isaiah, when he got alone with God in Isaiah chapter 6, he saw God and he referred to God as being a thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy. Maybe there's a reference to the Trinity there. But he saw God as a thrice holy God and he fell on his face. He saw his own unworthiness. He said, woe is me for I am undone. The Apostle John, although he spent three years with Jesus on earth, when uh, Jesus died and went back to heaven, years go by and John's an old man. He ends up in exile on the Isle of Patmos. And there, when he came into the presence of Jesus Christ now with this tremendous experience and his eyes, Jesus' eyes being like a flame of fire and all this description that John writes, John became like a dead man and fell before the Lord Jesus Boy, wow, I wonder what it's going to be like when we get to heaven, the awesome sights that we'll see. And so let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, 
and verse uh, 21. Now, this is really interesting. <clears throat> it said, Paul writes, and, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceeding fear and quake. This is Moses, the man of God, who'd spoken with God numerous times, who was God's uh, um, instrument on earth to uh, perform those miracles and so on. But at this meeting where all Israel and Moses right there at the base of Mount Sinai, when God, boom, just kind of pulled the curtain a little bit, it was so horrendous. It was so miraculous. It was so terrible. That's the word that Paul uses here, that Moses even said, I exceeding fear and quake. That's Moses, the leader. And that's what he had to say. Now, Moses had never in his life witnessed anything like this before. He had never seen anything close to it. A display of God's holiness and, and his power. Remember that burning bush and uh, that uh, opening of the Red Sea and those 10 plagues, that was mild compared to this. This was absolutely beyond anything anyone had ever seen. They were so overwhelmed with this. Now, these actual words uh, recorded where Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. These actual words are not recorded in the books of Moses. So Paul would have received them from God. Remember, not everything that happens is written down in Scripture, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. So in any event, all this description shows us the the fear that people experienced. Have you ever been in, exper in an experience or a situation where you were afraid? Uh, I don't mean like a little mouse running across the floor. I, I mean like, whoa, a life and death kind of earth-moving sort of experience. Have you ever been through anything like that? Uh, the people that have are, uh, experienced the fires uh, down in California, and I'll tell you what, right here in BC as well. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, horrendous damage done by the fires. Uh, fires also over in Greece. There was one just recently. Oh, it was terrible. Huge fire. Huge, huge. And uh, one family was found uh, uh, with their arms around each other. That's how they died in the fire. And uh, one, little, uh, one little boy, um, his last words were, Come for me, Grandpa. Come get me, Grandpa. Those was his last words, and he perished in the fire. And uh, things that, boy, we just maybe just don't know the likes of. Horrible things that cause men's hearts to fail them with fear. And it seems like when God came to that mount that day, there was incredible fear. And just people just didn't know what to do with this sort of thing. Now, Paul changes his tone here a little, and he says now in verse uh, 22. Look at it. He says, but ye are come unto Mount Sion. Now, please go back. Verse 18. Look what he says. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched. That's Sinai. Verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Sion. Now, uh, Mount Sion was the uh, New Testament way of saying Zion with a, a Z there. And now the meaning of Zion, they're not quite sure. They're not too sure, but it could mean castle or it could mean height, tremendous height, which sort of is maybe what a castle is, I suppose. However, Zion is one of the hills of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built on several hills. 
That's the city. And uh, one of the hills is called Zion. Now, Jerusalem, the name Jerusalem means city of peace. <coughs> now, we studied this months ago, feels like years ago, where Melchizedek came and he was the king of Salem. So uh, Salem means peace. He's the king of peace. We studied all that in earlier chapters. So that's what Jerusalem means, a city of peace. Look at verse 22 again. But ye, are not, but ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God. Now Jerusalem is going to be where God is going to set up his throne in the millennial kingdom. Paul goes on and says, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, Paul identifies this as a heavenly city. Verse 18 is a physical city. Here, it's a heavenly city. The physical city can be touched. The heavenly city cannot yet be touched. Now, the law had to do mainly with things that could be touched. Things that could be touched would be fleshly things. Uh, the word carnal means fleshly, fleshly things, things of this world. That would be carnal. If you went to a carnival, a carnival is like this big uh, festive uh, fleshly uh, display of uh, various things. That's what the idea of carnival is. So... Um, uh, the law, which was given on Mount Sinai, the mount that could be touched, had to do mainly with things that, that could be touched, carnal things. Now we're comparing it to untouchable things uh, or spiritual things. Now, keep your finger there, please, in Hebrews 12, and go back a couple of books to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I just want you to see the difference between these two. First Corinthians and chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writing to the believers at the church of Corinth, he says in verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. There you have the two terms uh, sort of uh, in opposition there. He goes on, he says, Even as unto babes in Christ. And so um, unsaved people, all they know are carnal things. That's all they know. And this world uh, is as good as it gets uh, in their life. That nothing is going to top this. And that's why so many unsaved people are so terrified of death because they don't know what's waiting for them out there. Whereas saved people, uh, they may not want to die, but death doesn't have the same fear for them because they know that when they die, they're going to be with the Lord in heaven. They have that full 100% assurance, whereas unsaved people, they don't have that. Now, Paul was saying that uh, the Christians at Corinth were acting acting carnal. They were acting like babes in Christ. And so we take a, a message here for all of us that when we're acting carnal, we're acting like a babe in Christ. Uh, sometimes um, um, a, a growing up can act uh, silly like a child or even uh, like an infant. And um, that's uh, improper behavior. As we grow up, we need to mature and, and act our age. And likewise, spiritually, the longer we're saved, the more we need to reflect Jesus Christ. 
the more that Christ should be seen in us. And uh, people ought to be able to recognize Christ's wisdom in us and come to us for comfort and counsel and for prayer and for advice. And so we need to be growing. But you can see in chapter 3, verse 1, you have these two opposites, spiritual and carnal. And uh, if you go back to Hebrews, only go to chapter 7, if you would, please. Chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7. Paul here talks about the law once again in verse 16, Hebrews 7 and 16. And see what he says here. Um, he says in verse 16, chapter 7, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. And so um, I just, all I want you to see is that th the law uh, that was given is referred to as a carnal commandment. It's things that I suppose can be touched, if you will. Now, go back to chapter 12, please, and uh, verse 22. So, after having come through um, uh, verses uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, with all of the uh, uh, quaking and darkness and uh, fire and so on, we come to verse 22, and all of a sudden it's like the storm is over and the sun starts to shine. But ye are come unto Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. The end of verse 22. Did you know God has more angels than we can count? Sometimes we think that the devil's got a lot of fallen angels. God's got way more. They're innumerable, apparently. Now, something else I want you to see. In the beginning of verse 22, no, notice the words. It says, but ye are come unto. It's not, ye are going to come. Ye will come. Ye shall come. One day you'll be there, but ye are right now. Present tense, ye are come unto Mount Sinai. Or, I'm sorry, Mount Sion. So Paul says we are come to these things. They're already here. You say, how is that? Well, that's in God's economy. That's what God's done. He is, and this is what I'm, I'm driving at here. Uh, Paul gave us this four-point sermon that we studied last week, you know, and sort of like shape up, fly right kind of thing. And here's why. It's because of the tremendous things that God has done for us. And if you're a Christian and these things don't mean anything to you, then you need to get on your knees with God at home and ask God, Lord, am I carnal? Am I a babe in Christ? Why don't these things, these spiritual things mean something? Why don't they, they uh, uh, catch fire in my heart here? Something's not right. They ought to, I think. In Christ, you and I can actually feel these things. Now, um, if you want to take a look at a verse, I sort of, this wasn't in my notes per se to have you do this, but go back to Romans, would you please? Chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Of course, we've got um, the famous verse in verse 28. I think we all know that. Many of us know it by heart. And we know that all things work together for good. Romans 8, 28. But look at verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to become conformed to the image of his Son. That means to become like Jesus. That's God's plan for your life and my life. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And, them, and whom he called, them he also justified. 
Now you see, you've got a process here. He called us. We heard his voice. We came and he justified us. He saved us. So we got saved. But look, it doesn't stop. And whom he justified, them he also, what's that next word? Glorified. Doesn't that mean go to heaven when you're glorified? How did that happen? Because in God's mind, it's a, it's a done deal, folks. You're as good as in heaven if you're saved. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. In God's mind, it's sealed. It's a done deal. It's that sure. So that's why he was able to do it. And so that verse suggests what I've just pointed out in, um, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22, that we are come unto Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. And as we walk with the Lord and get closer with the Lord, we sense these things more and more. We begin to get a little bit more heavenly-minded and heavenly-hearted as well. And these things become more real to us. We begin to walk with the Lord more. And it's almost like we can breathe heaven's air. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul gives a charge to Timothy. And he gives the charge to Timothy, listen to this, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Now, the elect angels would be the ones that did not fall and go in with Satan. So the elect angels are this innumerable company of angels. But listen again. Paul is charging Timothy to preach the word and be instant in season, right? And he's giving Timothy the charge before God, before the Lord Jesus Christ, and before the elect angels. Now that means that those angels are somehow involved. And so for Paul to say that, we say, oh, yeah, the presence of, presence of Jesus, yeah, oh, the presence of God, but the presence of the angels as well. And so Paul is saying in chapter 12 of Hebrews that we are come unto this. Wouldn't it be amazing to find out how many angels are in a church service? You ever think of that? We know Jesus is here. He told us where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst, right? It's no problem. We know the Holy Spirit is here, right? We've got lots of verses that teach that. But those angels, that's something. And I kind of believe that in God's church, there's got to be a few angels. There's got to be some. I haven't seen any yet, but I don't have to. Uh, the scriptures seem to indicate they're there. Okay, back to Hebrews and um, verse 23. Now, remember, he's, he starts by telling us about Sinai, Sinai and all that scary stuff. And now, verse 22, he's talking about all these wonderful things. Verse 23, to the general assembly. That means all the saved. That means that Christians, in a sense, have some contact with other Christians. We have that right now. And by the way, you can often feel that. If you meet someone new and you just sense there's something about them and you, are you, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Oh, so am I. When did you become a Christian? Well, on such and such a date. When did you? On such and such a date. And then you, you get to know, have some fellowship. But there's often an unseen spiritual chemistry there. And so here it's mentioned to the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn. These Christians formed the body of Christ in the widest sense. And we're going to get to meet them in heaven. Can you imagine how many Christians do you think there are in heaven? 
more than what we got in church, right? It's going to be something. How long is it going to take you to get to know everyone's name up in heaven? Even with a perfect memory, how long is it going to take you? Could take you some time, don't you think? Yeah, I want to remind you that we're going to start doing that right here this Sunday with a nice to know you, nice to meet you Sunday. That's this coming Sunday. We're going to put on these little stick em things. You put your name on there, and we're going to uh, go about meeting three new people that we, uh, we don't know their name. And uh, everyone will have a chance to do that. It'll be a lot of fun. Please uh, don't be scared. And oh, that's, that's so scary. No, no, no. You're thinking of Mount Sinai. That's what you're thinking of. And thunderings and fire and dread and <gasps> terror. No, no, this is Mount Zion. Yeah, the heavenly Jerusalem, you know, and all that. And the General Assembly, the Church of the Firstborn. Yeah, so that's this Sunday. So anyhow, he goes on to say, which are written in heaven. The, all the names are currently written in the Lamb's book of life up in heaven. That's where these names are kept. And if you're saved, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. He doesn't stop there. And he goes on and he says, and to, the, and to God, the judge of all. Now, this may well be a reference to God the Father. However, in John chapter 5, verse 22, it says the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. And so this may be a reference to Jesus. But I'm just sort of assuming because Paul did not mention Jesus' name here and just mention God the judge of all, it may be a reference to God the Father. <clears throat> but we are there as well. Um, how different this meeting in comparison to the meeting with God back on Sinai. Well, and to spirits. Now, this one is really interesting, and it requires uh, some theological uh, uh, study here, but we're not going to do much of that tonight. But it says, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, watch what he says here. Talking about spirits, and these spirits are of just men, those are saved men, made perfect. We're not talking about souls, we're talking about spirits. Every human being, every one of us, we have a soul, we have a body, and we have a spirit. There's three parts of us. We all seem to understand the body, no question. And we, most of us understand the soul, right? That, that's the real you, the person inside the body. But who is this spirit? That spirit was given to you at the moment of your conception, when you were conceived many, many years ago in your mummy's tummy. You were given a spirit. That spirit has never left you. That spirit is what formed your body, made things grow. That spirit does all kinds of work for us. I believe that that spirit is um, often what the world refers to as the subconscious. It, the spirit is an actual living being, similar to how like an angel, an angelic being, is a real living being. Your spirit is a real living being. It's inside you. It's mentioned so many times in scripture when someone dies it says they gave up the the ghost right and uh, the holy spirit is also called the holy ghost you see and so uh, again and again we've got references to the spirit and so here it says that you know we're coming to the spirits of just men made perfect so every human was given a spirit. That's a divine being. Uh, they give life to our bodies. And there's other spiritual functions they do. These spirits of saved people who were made perfect 
How'd they get made perfect? By going to heaven. That'll make you perfect. What a thrill it'll be to actually meet in person your own spirit. Hmm? You ever think of that? You have a spirit inside you. What's that spirit's name? It has a name because God created it. It'll have a name. And it's there with you through thick and thin. And when you leave this world and go to heaven, that spirit is going to be, it's going to leave your body, it's going to go up, and it's going to be in heaven. You're going to get to meet that spirit. I don't know what the spirit's name is. I, know, I only know the name of a couple of angels. That's all I know. There's Gabriel, right? Who else is there? Michael. And um, uh, what's that one-off uh, wonderful life? Thomas, <laughs> that crazy movie with, with that angel in there. Never mind that. That's, that's silly. Never mind that. But there's a couple names that we know, Michael and Gabriel. What's the name of your spirit? Could it be, uh, could it be Fred? Could it be uh, Louisa? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't a clue. You're going to get to meet your spirit. We're going to get to meet these. We, this is something we've, we've never experienced yet, have we? When we get to heaven, we're going to be in such incredible company. The things that we're going to learn is going to be fantastic. Verse 24. And to Jesus, hey, at last. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. He is the go-between us and the Father. And to the blood of sprinkling. Ever wonder what happened to Christ's blood? It's up in heaven. He took it with him when he went there. We're going to see it. The blood of sprinkling. And uh, Paul goes on and he finishes verse 24. He says, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And we're talking about the blood. Christ's blood speaks better things than uh, the blood, not Abel's own blood, but the blood that Abel shed when he came to God that day to sacrifice. Remember Cain and Abel? And Abel brought the firstlings of his flock, and there was a blood sacrifice. Cain brought, you know, some pumpkins and some carrots and whatever from his garden, and he brought this, or whatever it was he brought. He didn't bring what Abel brought. And that blood that Abel brought and shed before God in homage and in sacrifice was used to sort of cover sin. Christ's blood washes away sin. It's far, far superior. That's why this blood of the sprinkling speaks better things than that of Abel. Conclusion. Let me tell you a true story. Donald Whitney is currently a Bible teacher at a large Bible college in Kentucky. And he's also an author. And he once wrote about his 10th birthday. He was so excited, he invited eight of his buddies. That, that day, they got together, they played football, they played basketball. These are 10-year-old boys. They enjoyed hot dogs and hamburgers and devoured ice cream and cake. But the climax, says Donald Whitney, the climax was a gift from me to them. Nothing was too good for my friends. I was going to pay their way to the most exciting event in town, the high school basketball game. 
I can still see us spilling out of my parents' station wagon with laughter and running up to the gymnasium, standing at the window, paying for the tickets, and surrounded by my friends. It was one of those golden moments in my life. The picture in my mind was the perfect ending to a 10-year-old boy's birthday. Four friends on one side of me, four friends on the other side of me, and me sitting in the middle while we're munching popcorn and cheering. Then it was all ruined. Once we got in the gym, all my friends scattered, and I never saw them again for the rest of the night. There was no thanks for the fun, no thanks for the food, and no thanks for the tickets. Without a word of gratitude, or goodbye even, they all left without looking back. So I spent the rest of my birthday in the bleachers by myself. As I recall, it was a miserable ball game. Now Whitney said, I, I'd tell that story not to gain sympathy, but because it reminds me of the way we often treat God. So in Hebrews chapter 12, Paul tells us that we've not come to the law and Sinai with its fear and darkness and its dread, but we've come to Mount Zion and the grace with its heavenly sunshine and all its blessings. And that's why we should show our love to God by strengthening our limbs for encouragement and prayer, straightening up our paths to walk right, the right way for God in this life, sweetening up our souls for friendship and fellowship, and sobering up our vision and be on guard to watch against any sin that could creep into our lives and ruin things for us. I think that what Paul has done is fantastic job here. He's given us that four-point outline that we looked at last week, and he's given us this week the reason. Let's never forget how much God has done for us. Amen? Let's bow for prayer. Our heavenly